ups and downs that we are often on in our journey of faith, in our journey of following Jesus. And uh, but this this word, this this sense of clarity of identity and calling that Isaiah shouts out uh, is amazing to me. And as Diana was reading it, you know, listen to me, you islands, hear this, you distant nations. It's like, hey, hey, wake up! I got something to say. And I don't know if any of you are classic rockers, but I got something to say. What is it? It's better to burn out. Then to fade away. There you go. <laughs> that's not a gospel truth story. That's just a, uh, yeah, a declaration of classic rock. Do I hear any hallelujahs out there? <laughs> no. But, but Isaiah has this sense of, of, of clarity, and he wants everyone to know. Listen, you, di- you distant islands, you foreign nations. It's actually, it's actually amazing that he's actually declaring it to strangers. It's not the ones who he knows and who are around him, but he, he shouts it out and he says, here's what I, you need to know. Before I was born, the Lord called me and from my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. That sense of being known by the Father. In, in Psalm 139, I believe it is, uh, the scriptures tell us about how God knows us intimately from the very beginning of time. He says, for you created my inmost being. And you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well, says the psalmist. And and I wonder this morning, do you know that full well? It's one thing to declare, do do you know that full well, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? You're made in the image of God for the purposes of God in the world. We are chosen to become children of God, and, and we share a lot about that in this church, and so I'm not going to spend a lot of time there this morning, but we are also called, as Isaiah is called, to be a servant, chosen to display the splendor of the Lord. And he says, he says this, he says, The Lord has made my mouth like a sharpened sword, and in the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow, and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, as I just said, in whom I will display my splendor. This idea of a sword and of an arrow, and no ordinary one, it's a, it's a, polished, a sharpened sword, it's a, it's a polished arrow. And in the scriptures we, we read at different times, in Psalm 64, verse 3, it says this, it says, they, they sharpen their tongues like swords and aim cruel words like deadly arrows. And, in Proverbs 25, verse 18, like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is one who gives false testimony against a neighbor. There's this idea that, that words have power, as we often speak about here, and that they have power both for good, but also for evil. And that is what the psalmist is, is declaring there, is that they, they're fashioning their words and they're speaking them out in such a way that they pierce and they cut for destruction. And how many of us know that the, that the devil is called the father of lies and when he speaks lies, he speaks his native tongue. And what does he come to do? He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Words have power and the devil will use them to, to bring us down and to tear us down, to destroy us is ultimately his goal. But Isaiah has been given another purpose. It is not to use sharp words 
to tear down, but it's actually to, to bring life. It's not to destroy, but it's actually to build up. And sometimes those very words that, that build us up, that, that bring life, they do cut, though. Hey? Um, this idea of, of confession, this idea of, of, of being challenged in the things that we uh, are or the things that we are not yet. And sometimes that is a word that cuts. And as we read the prophets throughout the Old Testament, it seems like, man, these guys are on a really bad day trip, you know? Like they're just always harping, on, in, in a sense, on people. But, but why do they do that? Why do they give this sharp word? The purpose of the prophets was always to, to help Israel return to the one who created them, who called them. His sharp word, his, his cutting word, is, is to actually bring restoration of relationship. In Hebrews 4, it says this. It says, For the word of God is alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And God's word, when he does that, it's never a condemning word. And I think that's the difference, you know? Like the, 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 the words of despair, the words of destruction, they are condemning word that, that push us down and say you are nothing. But the words of God, when they come sharply and they come uh, quickly and, and they divide right to, you know, the, they discover the, the thoughts of our hearts, they put them on display. Why do they do that? They do not do it to destroy, but they actually do it to, to bring life. And sometimes it's not always easy to receive. But if we can remember again and, and to say to one another that when those rebukes or, or, or that change comes, that it's, it's for the purpose of our, our growth, for our change. And that change will spill out over to others as we're going to discover this morning. But I don't know if you caught these words. It says this. It says, you know, he fashions the sharp sword. And then it says, in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me this this polished arrow, but he concealed me in his quiver. And, and for me, it raises the question, why hidden? You made me for this incredible purpose, to declare the word of the Lord in such a way that, that all those who are uh, far from God would be restored. Why would you hide that? Why would you conceal it? And I think uh, there's a couple of different reasons. Um, because when God promises and prepares us for something that's really big, for, for the purpose that he has for us, he's actually doing two things. He's actually promising and preparing us for the thing itself. But he's also um, preparing us and promising us the capacity to receive that which we're going to need to see that purpose fulfilled. Does that make sense? So he's, he's making a declaration of who he, he who we are, and he's calling us to a particular purpose, which is good. But he's also then saying, but that purpose that I have for you, the thing that I have called you to, is going to require a change. And that is also a promise from him. I was listening to a podcast by Bill Johnson. That's actually where John is uh, this weekend with a, a number of others from our church. They're in a Redding, California, and one of the things that Bill Johnson said, he says this, all of God's disciplines, of which hiddenness I think is one, are so that we can survive his blessings. All of God's disciplines are so that we can survive his blessings. It's, it's a preparation for the great purpose that he has, that at times he will say, it's just time to be quiet. 
it's actually time to prepare. It's actually to deal with the stuff in you that I might be able to uh, work through you. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. We see uh, Moses who, in his zeal, he says, I know why I'm here. I'm here to set the people free. And what does he do? He takes out, you know, uh, I think a spear or sword. Anyways, he, he kills the guard that is, that is abusing the Israelite people, and it gets him into hot water, and he has to become a fugitive. And he becomes a fugitive for actually for 40 years, and he's a, he becomes a shepherd. And so here's the guy that was actually, you know, one of the the princes in in the courts of Egypt in the very high place. And he's like, and God is calling me to a higher place. He's calling me to actually set these people free. And what happens is that he actually ends up going into this place of merely being a shepherd. And but God is preparing him to not bring salvation, to not bring release for the people uh, in the way that he would do it, but in God's way. And David uh, is anointed king when he's just a teenager. But then he's threatened and he's chased and he has spears thrown at him for another 15 years before he becomes king. And why is that? I think God is is preparing him for that place of, okay, you, you have an anointing, you have a purpose, you have a call, but you're not ready for that yet. A, you're a teenager, and B, when you become king, and some of your, your children actually go astray, they're actually going to want to kill you. How are you going to be ready for that? You need some time. We see it again in the life of Paul, who from the very beginning, he's, he's, he's struck with this huge encounter with Jesus, and he's, and he's like, as soon as he is healed from his blindness and he's commissioned to go and to speak the word, he goes and then he gets kind of a, a bit of a cold a reception, and he ends up going away for 14 years before a guy named Barnabas comes along and says, I think it would be great if you could come over and help me in, in this work of the church. I know the gifting that's on you. It's, t- it's time now. 14 years. And so this, this idea of he hid me in the shadow of his hand and he concealed me in the quiver, it's the sense of hiddenness so that we can uh, survive and actually fulfill the purpose that he has for us. And that purpose is is ultimately a destiny. Why is God wanting to do this work in us? Why is he actually leading us to this place of hiddenness? It's because I believe that God has a global vision that is fulfilled by our personal transformation. Can you say this with me? God has a global vision that is fulfilled by personal transformation. That's that's, that's a bit of a tongue twister. You're getting it. (laughs) Let's do it again. God has a global vision that is fulfilled by personal transformation. That God has something that he wants to do in the world through each and every one of us. Um, But he has to start with a work in us. And I just want to share some scriptures. When we think about Abraham, he is the father of our faith, the New Testament declares. And God says this to him. He says, I will bless you. And that's a great thing. Abraham is, receives the blessing. And we know that God is a gun, God of abundance. We hear that and declare that as Tish prayed it this morning, that, that, that God in, in every aspect of our lives wants to see, see us flourish. Uh, but he does it not just so that we can flourish, so that we can be blessed. But he says to Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. In fact, all nations will be blessed through you. God has a personal thing that he's doing in Abraham's life, but that personal thing is for the purpose of actually transforming the world. And then when the people of Israel, they're called out of Egypt, 
And this is what God says. He says, look, I carried you out on eagle's wings. He says, this thing is all about grace. I've called you out. I've, I've carried you on eagle's wings. And then he says this. He says, why so that you can be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation? That you are a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? Priests help those who are, are distant from God come into relationship with God. That is not the only function, but it's the primary function, I believe, of the priest is to be in the gap of the place where you have no recognition of God and no relationship with him, and you help that person navigate their way to a place where they have relationship. And God says, look, I carried you out, but it's not so just so that you can be free and that you can enter the promised land, but it is for the purpose of actually being a priest, of a kingdom of priests, so that you can transform the rest of the world. In John 3.16, it says that God so loved me that he gave his only son. It's that God so loved the world. And actually, the, the word there is cosmos, that it's not just our world. It's universal. God so loved the world that he gave his one only son so that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. So not perish, but have eternal life. I should know John 3.16, eh? Some kind of pastor I am. But... Uh, but why does then God want to give his son for this personal transformation? Because it is you and it is me who are the ones who believe. Why does he do that? And I think the answer is in Romans 8, verses 19 and 20. And I'm just going to share that with you. It says, The creation itself waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not only by its choice, but by the will of the one who subjected in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Do you get that? I, I, that sounds kind of like, I didn't mean that in a demeaning way. There's been times here where it's like, are you getting it? Uh, like, I didn't mean it that way. But I meant, like, are you catching it? <laughs> That all of creation longs with an eager expectation for the sons and the daughters of God to be revealed. That's you and that's me. And they're waiting. They're just saying, please take your stand. Please come into the fullness of the life that God has for you. Why? So that we too can be liberated from the bondage to decay that we are in. All of creation is longing for us to be re revealed so that they can experience transformation. I, I sometimes get overwhelmed by this. You know, in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, it says that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things. How do, all things, all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, it's a universal thing that God wants to do. And how does he do it? He does it by having Jesus uh, sacrifice himself through the shedding of his blood. He makes peace. Peace with God, peace with one another, and actually peace with all of creation. That God is doing a huge thing. And so he, but he, in order to see that fulfilled, he has to change me and he has to change you. And sometimes that, that happens in the hiddenness, in, in the quiet places, in the, and even in the dark places. That God, it's, it is an attack. There are things that, that the devil does that comes, as we said, he comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. 
But there are times when, when God allows that, when suffering comes, in order that we might be changed. Not that, I should actually rephrase that. I don't believe that God allows physical sickness or mental torment in order to teach us those things. But that he actually, as we come into the fullness of what he has called us to be, I think what the Bible says, you know, as we, as we grow in righteousness, that we will suffer. And we know that because Jesus himself suffered, the one who is completely righteous, the one who is completely good, in the mission that he was on, suffered himself. And, it, and that's the thing. How we deal with that is what's going to enable us to actually grow into the next thing that God has for us. I'm afraid that this journey has some ups and downs. And I don't think actually for, for most of us that will be surprising news. But it was important, I think, that Isaiah says this. He says, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. And uh, I haven't been around as much. I heard the last little while, so um, so I trust the discernment of Tish and others for, for what is, you know, some of the challenges that we have been facing. And the, those times are going to come. I, and, and, you know, in, in, even in my work in, in Nanaimo, I think uh, there's a sense where I have to hold on to this verse very tightly, actually, because it can be a very much a, if you go from day to day and, and uh, oh, this was, this was going good, and then, oh, that sucked. And, uh, you know, I thought this relationship was going somewhere. Actually, it isn't. And it, bec- it can become this emotional roller coaster. And it can feel like, is this going to make a difference? And, uh, and so we can be in this place of disillusionment, this, this challenge. And, but Isaiah says, yet, says this, yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. You know, whatever it looks like on the outside, at least to me, and maybe even to others, in the end, our reward is with our God. That it is He, as we said at the beginning of the service, who not only initiated the good work in us and through us, but He is the one who's going to complete it. And that's not always easy to do. And, and I think there's two ways, I think, that uh, Jesus spoke to me. Anyways, just to, to maybe share with you this morning is, how do you get through that disillusionment? And I think the two words that I'd like to share are stay connected and stay the course. And what I mean by stay connected is this. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. I think in the times of disillusionment, when we say, as Isaiah said, I've labored in vain, it's, I've spent everything for nothing at all. Those are the times that Jesus would say, stay connected. If you remain in me, and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. It may be a time of hiddenness, it may be a time of waiting. It may be a time even of darkness and suffering. But you are able to remain in him. And if you do, he promises to bear much fruit because God has the long view in mind. Uh, Gary, can we just show this uh, 
this quick little video clip. Just thought it was a good summary of how God. Three years just for a cluster. Four years for a harvest. Eight years to get your first bottle of wine. Fifteen to eighteen years just to even break even. But forty or fifty years of harvest after that point. God is always in this for the long haul. And we can trust him. We can, and, and that trust is shown by remaining in him. So stay connected. And I think the other thing is stay the course. Um, I had a friend of mine that uh, we were just having coffee over at McDonald's a, no, a couple of years ago now. And uh, he just, it was a very simple phrase. It's not, not necessarily profound, but it was profound to me in that he says, you know, God is actually more um, desirous of, he uh, sees as more important that faithfulness even over fruitfulness. And I believe, because obviously Jesus desires to us, for us to, to bear much fruit. That's what he says in John 15. But ultimately, he's looking for faithfulness. There's a, a scripture where Jesus is telling a story. He says, The master replied to a servant who had taken what he had been given and did with it the very best that he could. He said this, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. So come and share in your master's joy. That God desires for us in the hiddenness, in the smallness, to just remain faithful. When we are faithful with even those few things, he will put us in charge with many things. But, but we have to go through that time of the few. None of us gets to skip it, I'm afraid. So I just want to take a quick break and then I just have one or two more things to share. But I want to ask this question. Maybe you could put it up on, on the screen, Gary, for us. I just want you to just discuss this amongst yourselves a little bit. I wonder where you are at this point. Now, we've talked about how Isaiah actually uh, declared his identity. And so I wonder, are you learning your identity and how God has chosen you? Or are you beyond that now and just beginning to discover your purpose, what it is that God has chosen you for? Are you maybe in a time of hiddenness or are you in a time of disillusionment? And I think the beautiful thing about this family is that you can be real about wherever you are. And so that's what I would encourage you to do as we just take a few minutes. Pull up to somebody next to you or behind you or in front of you and just share briefly, where are you at today? Identity? Discovering purpose, hiddenness, disillusionment. Let's just take a couple minutes to do that right now. <coughs> Excuse me. So I just want to end with the, with the the last bit of this passage, and um, and as I was sharing with Mark, I think you know, well, one thing that was really helpful that he said is is and and as we shared, just came to me is that you know I think we actually go through these questions. Kind of quite regularly, that I, that I think, and and sometimes, and I th- maybe actually maybe this is why I want to bring it up. Um, sometimes I can feel like we're doing this. Going, hey, okay. oh, here we are again, asking the same questions, going through the same thing. Oh my gosh! But it's not so much that we're walking around or going in circles. It's actually that we're going deeper. It's it's kind of like a, a if you can think of a drill bit, and so it is spinning. It's going in circles, but it's actually going deeper into the thing that it is, is placed on. I think God often does that in our lives, that, 
that uh, we revisit these things and it's actually, uh, don't get discouraged by it, it's actually a sign of growth. He's taking us to a new place. And that's, that's what uh, Isaiah basically ends with. He says, Now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be a servant, He formed me for that, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. And he says, It's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And what encourages me about this is that God fashions us for something and then he says, actually, there's more. So I made you for this purpose, but guess what? I got something different for you. And for me, I think this, this idea that, that God is calling me into a new thing is, has been really helpful in terms of the journey that we're on. Um, because I, I don't feel adequate to the tasks that, that we're up against. It's, it's interesting because uh, and maybe you've experienced this when God calls you into something. There's a joy and uh, anticipation of moving into something that just drives you. And then you get there and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm over my head. <laughs> hey? <laughs> but, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's actually God uh, wanting to, to give something different. And so... For me, I have to continuously reframe that when I get, when I feel like I'm in over my head, I'm actually right in the place where God wants me to be. And so that's, that's okay then. It's like, I'm not overwhelmed. I'm not drowning. I'm actually in the place where, where God is, is washing me and actually making me new so that he can release the thing that he's called me to be. And so, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to learn how to be a different type of leader. That's, that's one of the things that, that God's, uh, going to be working and has been and is going to continue to work into my life. Um, you know, uh, having served in, in Young Life for many years and then in this church for the last eight years, but it's, but it's been in a different role. I've never been the lead pastor of anything, any church. And so uh, God is beginning to, to do that work in me to, to make me into a different type of leader. And uh, I, I don't think I shared this last week, but one of the things that um, just is a value for me and for Megan, uh, maybe for me more particularly. Uh, that doesn't mean that Megan's less. Anyways, I'm, I'm anticipating the conversation when we get home. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, she never, she never does that to me. So I'm just having fun. <laughs> That's right. Be nice. Thanks, Leova. Um, but um, where was I going with that? One of the values I had was just. The idea of, of tent making and tent making is is a Christian term to basically say that you you work outside of the church uh, to help support the work that you do in and for the church and uh, and I do that already I work part time with this church and and just just a little less than part time with uh, the Anglican Mission as administrator but I've I've taken on a new job it's just a few hours for a couple of days a week right now with the Loaves and Fishes Food Bank in Nanaimo and it's an opportunity for me to serve. Uh, to meet hundreds of people every week, to, to serve alongside 10 to 20 uh, volunteers every week. It's just a really good place for me to um, to make connections as we come into a new community. But um, one of the things that God is, is teaching me in that job is how to say no. And uh, if you know me well, you know that I like to be the nice guy. Like, you know, I'm not the guy that generally that ruffles feathers around here. And uh, and that's I'm not saying that what the persons or persons that do ruffle the feathers that that's wrong. It's just different. 
And uh, but you know what? They, but God has been saying, you know, Dave, you're as part of this de- development into the new leader that I'm shaping you to be. You have to be able to say no. And so one of the things that happens, and it doesn't happen very often, but at the food bank, people want to take more than what they're supposed to take. They want to take that which isn't theirs. And so I and because I'm the depot coordinator, all the volunteers come to me when the dirty stuff comes up, and I have to be the guy that says no. And that's you know. And and that's I, I I laugh at it now, but it was really hard for me at first. And actually, and I know on, on Thursday of this week, there's a, f- a fellow that I was volunteering with, that he just he went out of out of the boundaries himself in terms of how he was treating some of our, our the clients that were coming there. And so, oh shoot, now I have to tell him, you know, I have to say no, stop it, <laughs> you know. And uh, but that is just that is just one of the ways that I think that God is 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 uh, challenging me. And I think. The other thing too is that you know we did we did this actually not too long ago as a leadership team. What are, what are my primary giftings? And my primary gifting is on the pastor side with some teaching, and uh, and it's not high on the evangelist side. And so here I am. I'm going to church, plant a new church where I don't know anybody, and I'm just going to have to you know put myself in that place. It's going to be in over my head at times, but but God says that's okay because I'm going to develop you into that which I have called you to be. And it's, uh, you know, and as is, I, I don't think it's going to necessarily be easy, but uh, Jesus never promised that it would be easy for us. He promised that he'd always be faithful and that he would always be there, but it, he didn't promise that it would always be easy. And I just want to sh- end with this. He says, in fact, you know, every promotion in the kingdom, if I can call it that, every change in the kingdom, any, any new place that we enter into the kingdom, uh, it comes with the cost. And I just want to share for me from Mark 10 and, and a short scripture from the Gospel of Luke. But there was a time when two of the disciples came to Jesus. It was James and John. And they came to Jesus and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And there's a bold, bold approaching of the throne. There you go. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. They replied, Well, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And so the disciples recognized that Jesus doing some pretty cool stuff and he's going to be coming into a place that I want to be at and I, I actually I want to be up there with him oops this fell. and Jesus says this you, know, you, know, you don't know what you're asking he says can you drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with we can they answered and Jesus said this to them you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And so Jesus says, do you really know what you're asking? Are you, are you able to be baptized, willing to be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? And what is that? Jesus, it says in Luke's Gospel in in the 22nd chapter, went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. And then Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed this. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And we know that the continuation after this prayer of the story of Jesus is that he's arrested, 
He is beaten, spit upon, called out, called down, and ultimately crucified on our behalf. The Son of Man, Jesus said, came to not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Are you willing? Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And they said, we can. And Jesus said, you will. There is always going to be a cost to living into the purposes of God. And I guess what I want to say is let's not be discouraged by that. Let's embrace it. Let's embrace both the identity that we have as children, dearly loved sons and daughters of the Father, who then sends us out as his servants to be a light in the world. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, but then he declares his followers, his disciples, say, you are the light of the world. Don't let that light be hidden. Go, go show it forth. And even if the suffering and the, and the challenges come and we find ourselves in a hidden place, we know that God is doing what he delights to do, which is to, to grow strong vines which bear fruit over the long haul. God is doing something beautiful in you as he desires and is continuing to do the work in me. And that work that he has begun, he promises to be faithful to complete it. Let's embrace it. Let's run with it. Amen? Amen. Thank you. If if you're able to stand, I just invite you to stand. And, and we're just going to just pray, pray some of this into us before uh, we close with our last song. Father, I thank you for your word which says, you know, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And Father, we say we love you. And whether we say it with the faintest of breath or with a strong declaration, it's all the same to you. I thank you for that, that a mustard seed of faith can grow into something beautiful and a declaration of our love for you is received as beautiful by you. And so we just thank you that um, there are things in store for us individually and collectively as a church uh, that we, we haven't even heard of yet. There are things maybe that we've caught a glimpse of but that we don't really see clearly. Father, there are dreams and visions and things that you will impress upon our minds that we have not even begun to conceive. And I thank you for that. I thank you that we are a people of hope uh, because you are generous and you are good and you have purposes for us that are good. And Father, we just say that we love you and we want to, to live into uh, our identity as sons, daughters, and servants to be a light to those who are living in darkness. Father, we continue to pray for Steve. I thank you for that testimony. I thank you for the compassion that you've written on his heart. And I thank you that uh, that same compassion that you've put into him, you can put into each one of us. Father, that we too would be a people who would go into the broken places. Father, both to those who are the victims and those who are the perpetrators of evil. And we can bring light. We can bring hope. So we just offer ourselves to you as, as much as we know what that means, we offer ourselves to you today. We seek to follow your word. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, and we, the whole of it. We just pray that it would be pleasing to you. Day and night, night and day, may incense arise, may 
not only our prayers, but everything that we do as we offer it on the altar of sacrifice, Father, would you take it and make something beautiful of it, that we might experience your joy and that you might be given the glory, that we might experience your joy, Jesus, and that you would get all of the glory. For we ask it in your name.